0: Hi, I'm Mary Thompson-Hunt, and welcome to From the Heart. Orlando is widely known for its tour spots and attractions, but many people don't know about its thriving arts community. Joshua Vickery and I are excited to introduce to you talented and passionate artists who shape our arts community. We do this every week. We want to know how they create and why, and how can Orlando benefit from an even greater arts presence. On each episode, we'll meet guests who are influential leaders and artists who are truly making a difference from the heart. Yay. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. And yes, Joshua is not here today. He's out saving the world through art. That's what I say whenever Joshua is not here. Um, He wears the suit and everything. (laughs) Welcome, Dr. Mary, and welcome to our guest. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Um, so, let's learn a little bit about, oh, Dr. Mary Palmer, you are no stranger here. As we know, she is the president of Orlando Philharmonic Orchestra Board of Directors, and you've been working with them for a while now. I have. Yeah? What I are, have. What are some of the things you're most proud of that have happened over the last few years for Orlando Philharmonic Orchestra?
1: There has been so much that has happened. It's hard to single out any one thing. I'm very proud of the education program of the Orlando Philharmonic Orchestra. Each year, we do what we call the Young People's Concert, and we partner with two of our great partners, the Opera Orlando and the Orlando Ballet, Mm. to present a great program, story-based, to children in grades three through five. So each year, through that program, We reach seventy thousand students in Orange, Osceola, Seminole, Lake, Volusia counties, and we are very excited about it. So maybe that's one of the really most proud moments. Seventy
0: thousand young ones to get them interested at that early age.
1: Yes, and to have the opportunity for them to really grow into a love of music and to experience a real professional group of musicians and artists together. So it is great every child has that opportunity in our community. So we're pretty we're pretty fortunate. We think it's probably one of the largest in the in the world.
0: Oh, I'm not surprised. Every time you come, you there's always a time and it's always at the top of the show where you'll mention the work you do with children, and I think that's so beautiful. You were the one that
1: introduced to us the idea of you need to start them early. Oh, absolutely, and there there's a great amount of research that underscores the importance of that, and so parents, sing to your children, dance with your children, help them to respond to the music, but you know what? The truth is children seem to be born with that innate capacity to respond to sound mm-hmm. and to enjoy sound, and so encourage that exploration and be a part of it. I love it. I love that we got that message in so early on this show. Yay! (laughs) And speaking of this show, I know you're very
0: proud today. Our other guest that's here with you, Gabriel Kahane, is here doing some very important
1: work, enough that you wanted him to be here with you. So
0: would you have the honors of introducing him
1: to our listeners? Yes. We are thrilled to have Gabriel Kahane with us from uh, New York City. He lives in Brooklyn, as does our great maestro Eric Jacobson. So they're friends and, and they really know each other's work very well. And so that's really great. But Gabriel has done some tremendously interesting work and is a composer of our era, and we are thrilled to be able to present that piece, Emergency Shelter Intake Form. Mark your calendars. It's going to be performed at the Bob Carr Theater on... Saturday, March 21st. And so we hope everybody here will come. We'll be talking. One night only, Saturday, March 21st. One night only. You have one chance Mm -hmm. to. Is that an early curtain at 7? It's an 8 p.m. 8 p.m. 8 p.m
0: right I'd rather than get there early anyway.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, get there early, meet friends, enjoy enjoy each other and all that we have that will be surrounding that. And so I'm going to I'm going to really turn it over to Gabriel mm-hmm. to speak about the emergency shelter intake form. Now Mary, do you know what that is? Emergency shelter intake form. I'll say no,
0: but it, I'm looking forward to hearing about well, it. Well,
1: let me just say that 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 term is what's used to allow people to enter centers for homelessness, so th- the shelters, et cetera. And the great local group, iDignity, really helps people get their identity cards so that they can complete that emergency shelter intake form. So it's very it's very much an, an avenue that matters to us because here in Central Florida, we know that we have yeah. a, a, a difficult situation uh, a situation that we need to understand and it's support. It's out of proportion. Mm-hmm. You know, I did
0: know that, but I just assumed that because this was of an artistic nature that it probably had something different meaning. So now I'm all the more intrigued. Hmm. And we have the artist right here. Yes. How did this idea come to you for the title and for the work you're doing?
2: Yeah. So um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so my career Takes me between the world of being a a songwriter, singing in in clubs and bars and that kind of thing, Um, and then I also work with orchestras and chamber ensembles, writing you know fully notated music that kind of thing, and and occasionally those worlds collide. And um, in the spring of 2016, a man named Charles Calmer, who is the uh, vice president for artistic planning with the Oregon Symphony in Portland, called me and he said, Gabriel how would you like to write a piece for the Oregon Symphony having to do with homelessness? And my first thought was absolutely not. This is, you know, this white ivory tower institution um, that thinks it's going to wade into, uh, you know, this social issue to kind of check a box of, of its, you know, sense of social responsibility, I thought somewhat cynically. Um, but then on the other hand, I really admired the fact that they wanted to grapple with this. In, you know, Portland has an um, a very visible, unsheltered uh, population dealing with homelessness. Um, very often you'll see people camped out in front of the Arlen Schnitzer concert hall where they perform. And so I accepted the commission without knowing how I was going to deal with the kind of optics challenges and, and real core ethical challenges of, you know, is this my story to tell? How do I make it a story that I feel um, responsible telling and so on and so forth? And so I began a course of research which um, ran the gamut from reading tax policy, housing policy, going back to the 50s and 60s, um, and uh, volunteered at a shelter in New York City in Midtown, where I learned, interestingly, um, that on any given night, more than half of the the guys who were in, it was a men's shelter, uh, more than half of of the, the guests had jobs and more than a third of them were working full time, which really spoke to um, a fundamental brokenness between wages and rent, which I think is an issue in basically every city in in America. And and I got to thinking about how I could broaden this piece to really treat homelessness as a symptom of inequality rather than um, a sort of crisis unto itself you know, there, there's, there's a way in which, um, you know, homelessness is the scab on the skin of a body that is diseased. It's not the problem in itself. It's, you know, there's something systemic underneath it. The other thing that I learned early on, particularly through reading an incredible book by Matthew Desmond, the great journalist and sociologist called Evicted, which won the Pulitzer Prize for nonfiction, I think in 2015 or 16. He reported this book in Milwaukee, um, where incidentally, we're going to be doing the piece a week later, just after the, the Orlando performance. We're doing it with the Milwaukee Symphony uh, the following weekend. Um, but he reported on the phenomenon of eviction in America. And um, this leads to a term that, that is used a lot in, in uh, communities that are concerned with housing issues, which is the, the term housing insecurity, which is to say not necessarily folks who don't have a roof over the head, but, but whose roof is not something that they take for granted. And he makes the argument in this book, um, which he reports both in a poor white neighborhood and in a poor black neighborhood, but one of the theses of the book is that eviction is to black women in America as incarceration is to black men, um, which is to say that black women experience eviction rates uh, at a much higher level. Than, than do any other demographic group in the country because of various kind of systemic prejudices and so on and so forth. But what that book really led me to was the understanding that um, the way that HUD defines homelessness is very different than, than what we see on the street. Because the vast majority of those experiencing homelessness per the HUD definition are living with friends, they're living with family, they're living in hotels, motels, shelters, and they are invisible. And whereas the unsheltered population um, disproportionately is is dealing with mental illness and substance abuse. So even if you're say, uh, you know, bleeding heart liberal, um, you still probably think, oh, homelessness is all about drug addiction and mental illness, and that's simply not the case. And at the moment that you start to look at that invisible population, you realize how much more proximate we all are to a situation where we might have to choose between keeping the lights on, paying the gas bill, paying the grocery bill, paying for our medicine. Um, and that has to do with you know various choices that have been made societally over, over the last um, 40, 50 years since uh, the war on poverty. So anyway, that's a, a kind of heady, <laughs> heady introduction to this piece. It's actually a lot of fun. It's um, by turns sardonic and really kind of harrowing. There are four soloists. Um, there is a mezzo-soprano incredible woman named Alicia Hall Moran. She was um, Audra McDonald's understudy in Porgy and Bess. You have to have a lot of chutzpah to understudy for Audra McDonald. Mm, and, and a
0: dynamite voice. And a
2: dynamite voice. And she's, she is incredible. And then there's a trio who are called the chorus of inconvenient statistics. <laughs> and Wait, say that again. The chorus of inconvenient statistics. That's pretty funny. And they are kind of like the the sardonic, um, dark. Uh, they're they're kind of like the actuaries of the piece, who are there to make sure that you're not just going to have a sort of like heart tugging experience, but mm-hmm. that that this piece is about kind of like lovingly holding the audience's feet to the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I said to someone earlier today that I, I'm always interested in trying to meet an audience where they are and then just push them a little bit. I don't. I neither am interested in preaching to the choir nor do I want to lecture people. So I want to kind of figure out where people are and then just like give them a gentle push to think about things that, that maybe they haven't thought of previously. But then I think maybe the most exciting aspect of this piece is the, the community chorus. Um, I said earlier that one of the challenges with a subject matter like this is the question of who has the authority to tell this story. And early on, I decided that I wanted to have voices and bodies on stage who could bear witness to the experience being described in the piece. So the final movement of the piece is written specifically for uh, an amateur chorus of people who have lived the experiences that are being described in the piece. So people who have experienced homelessness, who've been through the shelter system, who have uh, experienced housing insecurity, Um, Not necessarily exclusively those people, also people who work in homelessness services, but that there are bodies on stage that both are are there to kind of bear witness, but also in the the first performance, they were there to kind of hold me accountable and to make sure that the words that I was asking them to sing resonated with, with their experience. And what I kind of enjoy about the piece is that they have the final word. It's in 13 movements, and they sing the last one.
0: And they sing the last one. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll be the last word for this segment, but we will be right back. It's a real pleasure having you here today, Gabriel Kahane, Dr. Mary Palmer. We'll be back. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt on From the Heart. We'll see you in just a few. Welcome back to From the Heart. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt, and um, learning a lot today from our two guests. We have Gabriel Kahane in from uh, Brooklyn, New York, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And talking about a musical composition um, that's sharing the plight of our homeless, temporarily homeless, mm-hmm. is what I've learned is, is the way to say it, because that's pretty much what most people are, thank goodness, right, Tem- for the most part in our country?
2: Yeah, this was something I, I learned from the director of homelessness services in Portland, Oregon, where we premiered the piece. He he said we really try to say people experiencing homelessness, because, and I forget what the exact percentage is, but for most folks, it's a it's a transitory experience, and that they um, folks who have this experience really do not like the permanence of the label. It's really kind of soul crushing to be said your identity is as this. Mm-hmm. And this was born out. We did the piece in Chicago this summer. And a gentleman came up to me after we'd kind of done the meet and greet, and he said, "Thank you so much for not saying homeless people. We're not that's not who we are. Yes, like I'm a man with a family and a job, and now I have an apartment. and i I briefly was without a without a home and I, experienced, I I did experience homelessness mm-hmm. and I'm not I, I am that's not the condition that describes me now.
0: So, I like that. I love when know. we use language to to clarify when something is a temporary state, so that it's not declaring it forever. That's a wonderful thing. Um, Dr. Mary Palmer, you must be very proud of Orlando being part of bringing this together with the arts and music to a new audience and to a new understanding of what it is to temporarily be homeless.
1: You know, I think that a lot of times people look at a, a symphony orchestra like the Orlando Philharmonic Orchestra and believe that it's kind of separate from life. But in fact, music can really illuminate life and help us to understand and examine in other ways. And so with Gabriel's wonderful piece, Emergency Shelter Intake Form, we have a centerpiece to bring together uh, our understanding of the temporary condition of those who are experiencing homelessness. And so we're going to be doing a number of events or opportunities that engage our community in examining this phenomenon. And so I'd I'd like to just tell you about some of the great things that we have going on. So our orchestra members, our board, our staff, our great volunteers for the orchestra will be doing community conversation and this community conversation is actually taking place the Wednesday before the concert what and did, what date is that it's on March Wednesday, March 18th. Wednesday, March 18th. It's going to be um, at the Plaza Live, beginning at 5.15, ending at 7 o'clock. But we have some wonderful community leaders who are working in this area who will share what's going on in our own community and how we can help with addressing the opportunities that are in front of us. You know, I think another thing is that people don't really necessarily think of the orchestra as serving a community, but we are serving our community talk In, about that. Yeah, well that's kind of that's kind of a passion of mine that that we want to make our community we want to lift our community and we all know that music can do that. Mm-hmm. Music can change people's state of mind, etc. But back to the volunteering. So our our team will be the first 2 weeks of March going out into the various shelters and places that serve the these People who are temporarily experiencing homelessness, or maybe have had opportunities to serve the homeless people.
2: It's okay. We're all it's a (laughs) it's a learning process. We're we're all figuring out how to how to talk about it. We just want to please you. No, no, no. no, Yes, we want the right language. But but during those
1: two weeks, we will be in these various places mm. and we will meet people we will experience the opportunity to be people together mm. and a- along that same line when when the community chorus that we're putting together for for sharing at this concert they will sing with the orchestra at the concert so we're very excited about that and have they started rehearsing and all they're going there? to start rehearsing um uh, in March, actually. So if anyone
0: listening to this wants to maybe be a part of and volunteer for that choir yes, or volunteer for anything, so. how can they get I in touch? Hope
1: so. So they can go to Orlando Phil P-H-I-L dot org, and click on this project. And they can get a link to signing up to be in mm-hmm. the chorus. They can get a link to helping us serve the community in other ways. So there are plenty of opportunities for that. I'm and another b- thing that we're going to do on the Wednesday night, I think I just told you this, actually. Yeah. No, go on ahead. Wednesday night, we're going to have the community conversation. Yeah. Right. And Gabriel will be with us for that mm-hmm. conversation, as will our And own that will be at the Plaza leaders. Live from 5.15 to 7 that's exactly o'clock. That's worth right. repeating. You, okay. w- you want to meet
0: Gabriel. He's right here.
2: I just want to interject you know you you mentioned um the interaction between the chorus and the orchestra and you know I think one one piece that uh one thing that I I hope that this project can achieve is that it it brings people together whose experiences are wildly different I think we live at a time when just to kind of zoom out um we you know regardless of what side of the political spectrum you sit on, you can probably agree that we're living with two very different ideas of what reality is. And I think that any opportunity we have to, without the mediation of technology, to sit in a room with someone whose experience is really different from yours and figure out what you have in common is really valuable, because the, the country is in a really fragile place, because we don't agree on you know, basic facts. Um, and, and, and so I think that this project to me represents a very small, it's kind of a drop in what I hope it becomes a sea of opportunities for people to interact across cultural boundaries, across socioeconomic boundaries. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful to the Orlando Philharmonic for, for, Uh, taking on this project and and becoming a part of that larger conversation about how we sort of um, mend our fences.
0: Yeah. My mom always raised us kids to believe or to see how we are more alike than we are different. No matter what our upbringing is, no matter what we have, what we wear, where we live, we all have basic needs. Yeah. We we were
2: speaking in the car about another project of mine called Book of Travelers, the, the morning after the 2016 election, I rode the train for 13 days around the country um, without phone or internet, just talking to strangers. Wow. Very, very much with your mother's credo in, in my head that um, as nasty as our um, political discourse can get, I really believe that there are, are people in positions of power who want to keep us divided and who, who you know, profit and consolidate their, their power through keeping us divided. Um, but that we do, I mean, the thing that I found on my trip, the, the things that, that I know that we have in common is that most people feel deep loyalty to their family. Mm-hmm. Most people feel deep loyalty and, and uh, love for this country. Mm-hmm. And most people are really deeply moved by nature, particularly when you're riding the train around the country. Um, that is an, a, a remarkably beautiful experience to share with strangers, mm-hmm. is the beauty of of the land um, we want to live
0: a life and and be able to take care of our own and yeah. have you take care of your own and, yeah. and 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 enjoy the journey and the mystery of it all. yeah it's not that difficult
1: <laughs> well you know along this line part of what we will be doing is with our choir that we're establishing from the community we will bring them together with the musicians, obviously, to perform, but we're also going to bring them together so they can share a couple of meals together oh. Oh, and wonderful. be people together yeah. and get to know each other. And, and that's important because yeah. as we reach out to the community and to people that we don't already know, we, we become more human ourselves. And mm-hmm. so we're excited so about in that. in the fabric of exactly. the community. Tell us about this choir for anyone
0: listening that might think, you know what, that sounds like something I'd like to do. Tell us again how they can... Is
1: it too late for anyone? No, it's not too late. How do they they join? So they go to orlandophil.org, and at our website, there will be a link where they can sign up to be a member of the community choir, and then they will get information Mm -hmm. about that. But I can tell you that there are going to be several rehearsals. Everyone doesn't have to come to every rehearsal, but we hope they'll come to whatever they can. There's one on March 10th. There's one on March 15th. There will be one on the Friday night before the concert, which is March 20th. And then on the Saturday morning of the concert, there will be another, and that's March 21st. Okay, the next day. March 21st is the
0: concert. This is so important. Yeah. This is so wonderful. Yeah.
1: It's, it's an amazing opportunity to, to embrace all parts of our community. So listeners, once
0: again, OrlandoPhil.org. Volunteer. Volunteer, take the time to make a call and come in. I think this is one of those experiences that you'll always remember. Bring your children, bring your spouse, and then your family just gets that lift of service.
2: And the one, you know, the, the one thing I would say is um, we're particularly interested, uh, not exclusively, but for the most part, we're really trying to have singers who whose lived experience in some way intersects with this subject. And sadly, that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, But, um, but I think it's, it's really important to me as, you know, as the composer, as someone who has not lived this experience, that there are people on stage who feel ownership over, over this subject matter. Um, that being said, would love everyone to come sing.
0: (laughs) Yes. You don't have to give up your home to come. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Um, all right. Well, we have another segment left when we come back. I want, to to make sure that we get everything in that you can communicate about this subject and whatever else is coming up in your world. Mm-hmm. So glad you're here and want to have you back another time when it's not just about this as sure, well. Sure, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned because we're coming back to our final segment in just a few minutes on From the Heart. See you in a few. <laughs> Welcome back to From the Heart. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt. I'm totally enjoying this conversation today with Dr. Mary Palmer and Gabriel Kahane. Uh, we're talking about a project that Gabriel has written and composed, an opera dealing with the crisis of homelessness. I shouldn't say crisis. It is a... It is a crisis. It yeah. It is a crisis, but you gave me another term that can... The temporary existence of homelessness? no no no,
2: I think i mean homelessness in in this country is unquestionably a crisis no no question is it about the worst it. it's ever been um, relatively well, there are all sorts of metrics for for t- looking at that I mean, I think that the um the gap between median rents in most countries or sorry in most cities and wages is um I think certainly the worst it's been in decades and decades and decades. Probably, I think there, it's something like you have to work two and a half minimum wage jobs in many cities to afford a kind of like median uh, two-bedroom apartment in, yeah. in a major city, which uh, it's tough. I mean, that's, you know, 100 hours a week.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know what to say? To even ask if it is it the worst it's ever been isn't really fair because to the people experiencing it it's probably the worst it's ever been for them and that's yeah. what matters.
2: I mean it's it's certainly um, it's gotten worse in many respects. I mean there there are obviously other ways in which the way that we experience uh, poverty as a country has has changed a lot. And um, what do you mean by I, that? Well, I think that that there are some some metrics having to do with say. Um, you know, running water and electricity, that there were, um, there were times, you know, before the war on poverty um, in, in the, the 60s, uh, there were many more Americans living in uh, communities that, you know, were not electrified and, and so on and so forth. And, and so thinking about what we now consider really basic, basic, basic necessities, there was a larger population that, that didn't have access to those. Um, but you know, you will see frequently, uh, folks in, um, in shelter today who have smartphones because the smartphones are, um, subsidized by big tech. And, um, I think that if you have the the choice between the dignity of, um, you know, uh, well, and just to say that you often need a smartphone if you're going through, Mm -hmm. Uh, the shelter system really in order yeah. to navigate yeah. it mm-hmm. like you've got and to be able to get on you've got, you've got to be able to get on email and, mm-hmm. and so on and so it becomes your Sign office mm-hmm. um and so i think sometimes critics um from the right side of the political spectrum will say but look everyone has you know everyone has these devices but um that device isn't going to pay your rent for a year and it also is not going to give you dignity dignity is having a roof over your head and a place mm-hmm. place to call home so i think that you know these metrics that's sort of where economists—that's um, how economists line up along the ideological spectrum—is about disagreements over what constitutes poverty and what and what doesn't. And it, it you know, it's subjective in one sense. Right. But um, I believe that everyone is um, entitled to certain basic necessities, and 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 we can disagree about that. Um, it's you you're know,
0: a very deep thinker, and you're young, and I'm wondering. How does one? How, how did you become the person you are to be so socially conscious? And, oh well, thank you for saying that. And and compassionate and caring. Yeah, I mean, I, you're an extraordinary young person for most of us. Well, to meet. I think
2: I think I I give you know often my father's a, a conductor and a pianist and and when I was in the first decade of my career, I'm now in my late 30s. In the first decade of my career, people always said, you know, what is it like having a father for a musician? And I adore my dad. He and I work together a lot, um, but I would say that. Uh, and and he has a very deep social conscien- consci- conscience, um, but my mother, who is a psychologist, um, who also has a deep social conscience, um, I feel she's one of the most empathetic people I've ever encountered. She's the kind of person where you meet her, and five minutes later you're pouring out your <laughs> heart heart to her, and she's had you know tr- huge impacts on on people where she, you know she meets them at a party and suddenly they've made some drastic shift in their life, and and. Um, I feel like for me, empathy for the other, whether that's the ideological other, whether it's for the other whose um, you know socioeconomic condition is really different than mine, whose cultural experience is really different than mine,
1: or that's soil,
2: like that's like totally yours. It's kind of at the root of everything that I do, mm-hmm. and so I'm always trying to um, you know just to to, to to like put a fine point on it. Um, I'm sitting next to a a, um, a doormat that says Trump make America great again. And, and, you know, that's not my politics. Um, But I think that if we're if we are going to persevere through the deep division that we're in, we have to be able to not demonize each other and find ways of talking to each other across differences. Because, you know, as your mother said, there is we do have more in common Mm -hmm. than divides us. And we've we've gotten really, really far away from living that mm-hmm. but i i kind of want to make it a point through my work of you know pushing for what i believe is is right but doing it artfully and doing it in a way that's compassionate not just for for the um and
0: entertaining i'm sure and entertaining too. yes i mean <laughs> as as i that. said you know this <laughs>
2: this piece is actually um it, it, there there are moments where where the audience generally laughs which is by design you know when i got the commission i thought what are people going to expect? They're going to expect a very, very somber, depressing piece, and that was the first thing that I thought was this has to be funny because otherwise I'm
0: glad you said that.
2: Otherwise, it's going to be listeners. You can come and laugh. Really, really boring <laughs> and sad. Um, but I I want to be compassionate not just for um, you know the the plight of the people uh, who who I'm writing about, but also for the people who are coming to. You have to have compassion for your audience. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, you have to meet your audience where they are. And, and, and if you
0: can entertain them and teach them at and the same time, you've done a good job.
2: I think that's that's what it's about for me.
0: Dr. Mary, he mentioned empathy. And uh, when Gabriel said that, one of the first things I always remembered about you, I remember so much about you because you always bring such provocative thoughts to this, this show. But you talked about the arts and empathy. That was a big thing for you. And... Um, I think that's one of the things that the arts does, whether you know it or not. If you're just being even swept away by tones of music and chords that are are beautiful, there's something that you're following that was intended by that composer, and you're put in a state of seeing the world through someone else's eyes. And that's kind of what we need
1: to do to get along in the world. We have to begin to understand each other. And music does help bring us together and give us a common ground and and perhaps different perspectives that can be examined. And so so that music and the other arts are really very important in building empathy and bringing people together. You know, that's one of the reasons why our composer in residence, Gabriel Kahane, will be going out into our community, including some of our schools. And so just in a couple of days, he will be working with the students at the Osceola County School of the Arts. Nice. And he will be having them in a roundtable discussion and looking at the role of music ah. in in society. What ages? And the kids at that school will be from seventh grade through twelfth grade. That's wonderful. Yes. Wow. And, so it I'm there be to in, indoctrinate them uh, with Marxism. No, just <laughs> get <kidding>. ready, kids. <laughs> no, no, no. Look at that hook. That was a joke, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> will, will anyone be recording this? Do uh, you know? Yes, there will be someone, so. and he's also on on Saturday. He will go to another of our partners, a gift for music, and have a roundtable discussion with those young students. And anywhere as well. where any of our listeners might go, the library or anywhere in town. Not this alive. Trip, but we're having him come back another trip, and so maybe at that oh, time. Oh, we do. I, I honestly, I'm here fascinated by this conversation.
0: I'm given hope for our youth, for our future, because of our youth at being deep thinkers like you are and compassionate. Thoughtful people, so yes, please, and then come back here
1: because I think more people would love to see you in person and hear you talk and have a talk back with you. Don't you think? Absolutely, and that's part of what the community conversation is that we will be having on March 18th at the Plaza Live. And so in addition to the representatives from these various organizations – Gabe will be with us, as will our maestro Eric Jacobson. So I'm on March 18. On March 18, that's a huge night. It's a huge. Those tickets night. are going to go fast, aren't they? It's a huge night. Yes, you better get them fast, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and that conversation will be free wow. and open to the public. So I'm so going to be yes. there. Good, good. We we welcome you, and we welcome. Everyone. Everyone mm-hmm. is welcome. I always say, bienvenidos a todos, when we <laughs> open our concerts, and because everyone is welcome.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, we don't have too much time left. Uh, what is important for, for you both that you want to make sure that you leave as a big message of, of today, of, of either the work that you've done or the work yeah. that music does? I just... We, Give us some wise words.
2: Well, you know, we touched on this a little bit. Um, this this notion that um, the symphony orchestra is not the place that traditionally we've thought of as a space where um, we grapple with social issues. And there are, you know, there are folks who say, you know, let's leave politics at the door. This is a place where I just want to be entertained. And I understand that. Um, I understand that point of view. I understand you work a long day. You to You just want to hear beautiful music. And I think there will always be the concerts that every institution does that, that checks that box. But I also think it's important to remember that um, there's no art that is apolitical. Mm-hmm. It may just be maintaining the status quo in, mm-hmm. its, in its decision not to grapple. Um, but I think that when we have institutions like the Orlando Phil, um, who are sort of courageously saying, here's a, a, a challenge in our community we don't know what the solution is, but we want to be a leader in um, helping each other to sort of sift through this, this difficult issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's something that really deserves um, praise and and recognition on on their part. And um, you know, I I like music that just you know feels good, whether whether it's um, uh, I I don't know. I'm, I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Um, but I also think that we have to remember that it has always been the case that artists have helped us to navigate turbulent times with, you know, with the work that they do. And, and so I think that it's an opportunity for us to, to kind of reframe the way that we think about this, you know, in white ivory tower institution that exists off, you know, in the distance playing its, its, Beethoven and Brahms, and, and to be reminded that we're really, really dealing with the here and now um, and with, with issues that, that affect everyone.
0: I know music so often will talk to the heart in the heart's language, so you're feeling it before the thoughts even come. Mm-hmm. And it's through that that I think minds will change mm-hmm. um, when you experience it in your gut and in your heart.
1: And, you know, it's true. Music music feeds the soul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned that we were going to be going and, and serving food at various locations, but we're also going to be serving music. So mm-hmm. our musicians will be coming and performing because it's music that really adds to our opportunity to It our, feeds our the our soul, opportunity the to spirit, change. body, mind, yes. spirit, right? The food yes. for the body, but then also for the
0: mind and spirit with your music. That's beautiful. You do such good work in this community. Thank you so much. Well,
1: thank you for having us, and we're Always. so excited to Thanks again. share oh, this.
0: Gabriel, wonderful having you here. Dr. Mary, thank you. Thank I, you. I didn't mean to cut you off, um, but it looks like our music is saying that was a good time. <laughs> yep, that was on purpose. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Joshua Vickery will be here next week, ladies and gentlemen and listeners. Thank you for being here. But what a treat today to have Dr. Mary Palmer and Gabriel Cahan um, did I say that right? Kahane. Kahane.
2: You got it right the first time, though. I did. And the second time.
0: Okay. Well, there you go. I'm not perfect. Um, but Great to have you here. I will see you at the show. I will great. definitely be there. I wouldn't miss it. We'll see you next week, everyone. Joshua Vickery will be back. Have a great week. Go see some art. And thank you from the heart.